Merry Christmas. Today's reading is from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the right unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and I shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Merry Christmas, indeed. Um, I want to ask a question to kind of start off our time, and if you want to engage, you can, or if you just want to think about it, you can. If money were no object... Right? And you could only get the ones that you love one gift, what would it be? So if money were no object, but you could get your loved ones only one gift, what would it be? Healing. I think if I gave everybody at least a little bit more time, <laughs> um, it wouldn't take you a while to figure out something that would pop in your mind that would bring a smile to those you love, Right? Now I want to ask a different question. What about yourself? Meaning, if money were no object and you could, get only your, you could only get one gift for yourself this year, what would it be? Essentially, what we're asking is, what would make you happy? Now to answer that question, that's a lot harder, isn't it? And the more you think about it, the more you start second guessing. If there's only one thing you can get yourself... You start second-guessing because that, 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 that feeling, desire, is a moving target. And, and far too often, we feel like happiness has this if-then equation to it. 
right? If I can just fill in the blank, have that, know that, be that, then I'll be happy, right? If I can just fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. If I can just get that toy from Mr. Tyler, well, no, maybe that does make you happy. Um, some of you out there, man, I saw the, the faces light up. Tyler's just like, man, you crushed it. And then he made a promise that I was going to be interesting. So that's a difficult thing to follow. The best thing in the service outside of God's word has already happened. Um, let's be clear. Uh, no, but, you know, if, if I just have that jacket, those designer jeans, that car, that perfect loft, you name it, then there's this feeling, well, then I'll be happy. If I work hard enough to get that promotion, if I just get that raise and be in that income bracket, then I'll be happy. And of course, if the raise or the promotion does come, when it comes, what happens? As soon as you move into the office, you start thinking about the next promotion, the next raise, the next higher up. Or you start asking yourself, well, and maybe some of you are here and you're thinking, I'm single and I'd love to meet that someone. If I could just meet that someone and get married. For some folks, that's their story, their desire. Then I'll be happy. But what happens is, far too often is, if I just meet that someone, and then we get married, and then you do get married, and then you think, well, if I just have kids, and then if you have your first one, then sometimes you think, well, maybe I just need one more, then I'll be happy. The problem with this planting a stake in the ground is that the target consistently moves with this if-then equation for happiness. Harvard psychologist Sean Aker, in his book, The Happiness uh, Advantage, writes, this if-then perspective as the pathway to happiness cannot be supported by science. I love that. Because each time our brain experiences a quote-unquote success, it moves the goalposts of what success looks like. And so what happens to our lives, right? What happens is happiness feels like it's consistently out of reach. We feel like we're chasing after the wind. And maybe we feel like we're saying to ourselves what we read here in Isaiah 55 verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Now I want to ask a different question. And I think this one is a, a thought-provoking pause and hold and maybe something to be thinking about over this Christmas season. Here it is. If God, who knows no limitation on his provision, could only get you one gift this year, what do you think it would be? And unlike Tyler's story, I don't know if I want to say Jesus, right? We're not, but no, seriously. If God, who knows no limits to his provision, could only get you one gift this year, what do you think it would be? And the answer to that question, as you wrestle through it, is so interesting because it reveals how you understand the world. It reveals what you think about yourself. It reveals what you really think will make you happy. And maybe most importantly reveals what you think about God. And I think one of the best kept secrets in the Christian faith is this. God wants to give you what makes you happiest. <laughs> God wants to give you what makes you happiest. Now, when you first hear that, some of you are like, all your red flags are like up in the air. Like there's all these sirens going off. This can't be true. Why does that feel for so many of us like a really weird thing to say out loud? God wants to give you what makes you happy. Why does that feel that way? For one, your life hasn't been happy. And I think that's true of all. There's great suffering. There's great pain. There's great heartache. And if God really wants to do this and he knows no limit to his power, why, 
why aren't I happiest today? Another aspect to that is how we imagine God to be. I mean, how many of us imagine God to be happy? We often think of him as wrathful and angry and even loving, right? These are some of the phrases that we use when we talk about who our God is. But what if God is incredibly happy? Like, just, the, well, he doesn't have to be giggly, but I mean, what if he's like extraordinarily happy, like the most happy being in the universe, and what he wants more than anything else is to share his joy? What if it is indeed true that what God says here in Isaiah 55 verse 1 is true? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And what if his goal, like what if his desire, his end game for you and I really is, verse 12, that you shall go out and joy? What if God's actually like that? You see, happiness is this overall state of well-being experienced when when we live a good life. If it, when everything feels right in the world, we feel happy. And everybody wants happiness. And that jam, that got me. That's a good one. The music playing in the background. And here's the thing. When I get really boring, that's the other thing, right, reason we gave them toys is so that they have something to entertain themselves while, uh, while we're walking through God's word. But no, seriously, happiness is something that we all long for. And today I want to be clear, we're not going to split any hairs. I'm not going to say, talk about the difference between happiness and joy, okay? Sometimes teachers, preachers will talk about the difference between happiness and joy. And really, as English speakers, we make a distinction in how we use those words. But when you go to the biblical authors, we come to see that God is the source of both, and he encompasses both, and he longs to, to give us happy and joy-filled life in the end. This is what God longs for us. If you go to the Isaiah scroll and you were to, in the midst of all the words of judgment, if you were to ring it out, like if you were to take an Isaiah scroll and just imagine, right, you're ringing out an Isaiah scroll, you know what would drip out of it? Joy. And when God's inviting us to come home to him, he's inviting us to a really happy home with an incredibly happy God, a God who longs to share his joy with you and with me. And when we come to Isaiah, we find that God gives us instruction and direction in Isaiah 55, this author of life on how to lead and end with a happy life, okay? So if you haven't already, would you turn with me to Isaiah 55? And here's something I just figured, why not? I love poetry. And Isaiah 55, if you look in your Bibles, you notice it's kind of structured a little funky. It doesn't look like normal narrative. This is because this is a brilliant poem. And, and, and poems, they have a certain structure to them. Often in English, we use the iambic pentameter, A, B, A, B flow, if you're familiar with that. But the very structure of Isaiah 55 spotlights, even the very internal structure spotlights how to end with joy, okay? Scholars call this structure a chiasm. And here's how it works, briefly, okay? Because this is, this is just, it's a brilliant text. Okay, I'll do it very quickly. Um, so this is how it basically starts. It starts with God giving an invitation to everybody who's leading an unsatisfactory life and saying, come, come, come. And then it ends, A prime, with God inviting everybody and promising a joy-filled life and restored life. And then there are these built-up arguments 
that support both the beginning and the end. But ultimately, the focal point is right there in the center. The whole structure of this poem is pointing your attention to what's at the very center of the poem. So if you, if you feel lost and without satisfaction, you want to end with joy, go to the center and put God at the center of your life. This joy-filled, gracious, abundantly pardoning God. Seek Him with everything. If you feel lost and you want joy, seek Him. He's at the center of this poem and he longs to be at the center of your life. This is brilliant structure that very much in the internal that the original readers would have picked up on, the original hearers would have felt, would have seen. In other words, to sum it up this way, if you feel lost and you want to find joy, seek God. If you're tired of an unsatisfactory life, if you long for happiness, if you want to end with joy, this Christmas, chase God like a well in the middle of the desert, like a bunker in the middle of the hurricane, like the best Christmas gift at a Christmas exchange, right? <laughs> Take everything you can and chase that sucker. Um, that's what God is saying. Chase me. Seek me. If you feel lost and you feel like your life is consistently feeling like a chasing after the wind and you want to find joy, seek me. So look at the very center of our text, verse 6. What do we read? Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he may be near. While he is indeed near, right? And then what we'll find is in the words of Jackie Hill Perry and her song, The Art of Joy, we'll discover when we do this that you make us happy when we look at you. You make us happy when we look to you. Satisfaction only happens to those who are glad in you glad in you. Now that sounds all well and good, and it sounds easy enough, but what that necessarily means is if we're going to seek God, that means we have to abandon our self-determined pathways of happiness, no matter how painful that may feel. True, if you feel lost and you long to find joy, seek Him, but you need to do it at the cost of everything else. At the cost of everything else. It's kind of like that white elephant gift exchange. Like if you want the better present, you can't still hold on to the one you have, right? Like if you, you see like this candle and you've got an oven mitt. Anybody remember the office? It's like you've got the oven mitt and you want that candle. It's like you have to give up the oven mitt in order to get the candle. If you want the better gift, you have to let go of the subpar gift. You can't have both life is the same way. You can't chase everything else and still expect to seek after God. To find joy, seek God at the cost of everything else. Look with me again at verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, philosophers from old have understood the paradox of hedonism, which is this chase after happiness. And this is what it is, basically. You can't find happiness by just seeking happiness. You can only find happiness by seeking something else that's better. And then happiness becomes a byproduct. And right here in Isaiah 55, God is making it abundantly clear 
that he is that something that is better. That if you long for happiness, seek him. And we come to better understand what wickedness and unrighteousness is. Wickedness isn't wicked just because it's against God. Wickedness, these actions, are wicked because they break God's world and they break our hearts. Wickedness in the end leads to sadness. And unrighteous thoughts, not right thinking, is not right, not just because it's not in line with God, but because it's not in line with the way he's designed the world, which points us to flourishing. And so we remember verse 8, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. We often think happiness looks this way. And he says, no, 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 no. Happiness is here. My ways are not your ways. We think this is the way to happiness. Of course, and he goes, no, 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 no. This is the way to happiness. This is a simple poem with a brilliant internal structure and it has some really profound implications. And if you've come to church for a while, it doesn't feel like anything new. But the Christian life is not profound in that it's extraordinarily novel. It's extraordinarily simple. It's just very challenging. And so I want to ask each and every one of us this morning, as you're thinking about Christmas, and you're thinking about happiness and this most wonderful time of the year, I want you to ask yourself, what do you need to abandon to chase God's happiness? Where is your life in opposition to God's commands? What are you devaluing that God says in his word that he deeply loves? Is your, your calendar, does it send a message that you're actually in pursuit of God and his happiness? Because listen, our lives are brilliantly structured to give us what we want. There's a lot of things we can't control in life. But there's a ton that we can. So what do you need to abandon to chase God's happiness? And when I ask that question, if you're anything like me, you know down deep, if you're really honest with yourself, that there's this thing, this idea, this relationship, whatever, that you know is not what God's best is for you. You may even feel some conviction of the Spirit and think, okay, I know this is not in line with what God has called me to, but deep down, it feels like the only tangible, real option for happiness in this life, right? That's why we hold on to it, even though if we know clearly in God's Word, it says don't chase it, and we hold on to it. Why? Because we feel like it's the only tangible, possible pathway to happiness. So why abandon that thing that feels so right when God says it's anything but. I want you to think about, and this is easy, I think, for all of us, and maybe for some of you, it was just a couple minutes ago and you got a gift. When was the last time you were at your happiest? When was that moment? Maybe it was like a split second. That moment where you felt like everything was right in the world, even if it was when you just caught your breath. The reason we abandon what feels so right to us to chase after God's happiness is because no matter what comes into our minds when we think about happiness, God's happiness is higher than ours. We have mental maps based upon our experience about the ceiling as to how much happiness we can actually have in the world. And God's happiness, his understanding, his framework for happiness is so much bigger than ours. Jump with me here to verse 9. 
Look what we read. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts and imagination for happiness, for your happiness, for my happiness is so much bigger than we can even begin to ponder with our limited perspective. God, the creator of the universe, who designed and wired each and every one of us, who knows us better than we know ourselves, has a framework for happiness that is bigger than what we can conjure up. So why abandon what we feel like is the only real and tangible pathway to happiness that we feel, even though we know it's not in line with what God has, but we're holding on tight to it because we feel like it's the only way. Why abandon that to chase what God has called us to? His happiness? Because God's happiness is higher than ours. To find joy, seek God at the cost of everything else. Because he longs to give us a joy we can't even fathom. We can't even begin to scratch the surface of. Christmas is God's promise to give us happiness. A happiness we can't even fathom. I mean, nobody would have fathomed that God would become human, like come that close to us, become a baby in some backyard barn. Like nobody could have fathomed that. Like in that particular way, exactly the way it's lined out, nobody would have thought that God would have condescended that greatly to meet us, to be with us. And yet that's exactly what he did beyond our framework of understanding that God loves us that much. And when he showed up, what was it said to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 10? News of great joy. Such that stars shone brighter than they've ever shown before to light the path to the source of that joy. Where angels announced to creation that the source of all joy and happiness, that those who long to be blessed, even though they are mourning in this present age, will know a joy beyond even their framework, that he has come. That shepherds and kings and wise men sought this world over that they might get a a glimpse. God was dedicated to your happiness, to my joy, to such an extent that he became human. And then, check this, he went to a cross for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews tells us. And he died on the cross to provide forgiveness, reconciliation, that we might find our happiest life in him, our life and life abundant, that we might know what it means to be blessed. In other words, literally happy in him. God wants to give us what makes us happiest. It's not in how we would often think it comes. It's not often what we think it is. And regularly, it's not when we would like to have it. What will it look like? My imagination can only begin to scratch the surface, but here's what I do know. A God who has untold power and is perfectly just, if he'll become human and he'll die on a cross and rise again and say, come to me even still, such that while we were sinners and we deserved only sadness, he died to give us forgiveness and happiness. In the end, this joy that's at the very end and the great climax of history I can only trust him that his definition of happiness and what he has in store for those who trust him will be way way better than anything I could ever imagine. 
So in the midst of Christmas, with your house all decorated, right, and cleaned, finally, or at least a lot of stuff in a closet somewhere, ready for relatives to come over, while you sit around the tree and you feel the sentimentalism of Christmas, I want to ask this question. Are you really ready for God to give you what makes you happiest? Oh, yeah. Or are you still holding on to what you think it makes you happy? Are you holding on to your own definition and not saying that, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm holding loosely to what I have. I'm ready to do a Yankee swap, right? And trust that you truly have the better gift. Because happiness was born 2,000 years ago. He died for us. He rose again. And he says, come to me. And if you want joy, then seek him. Return to him. This Christmas, chase after him. Because it's the only real way to have a merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for the brilliance of your word that constantly challenges my perspectives and calls me to submit to your ways and your thoughts as supreme. Thank you that joy is at the center of who you are and that you even became a man of sorrows in the midst of your great joy, that you might share your joy with us. May we have an untold gratitude at the great sacrifice you paid for our salvation. May we have untold joy fueled by our hope of the joy that is to come when you return and gather your people up. And may we hold fast that you truly do want to give us what makes us happiest. Help us now to chase your definition of happiness, to chase you above everything else. And so lean into your promise, for you will not abandon us and leave us to sadness. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.